0: A chicken can't lay a duck egg Hello, I'm Anthony Day and this is the Wednesday interview from the Sustainable Futures Report for Wednesday the 8th of December. Can Covid help us solve the climate crisis? This week I'm talking to authors Graham Maxton and Bernice Maxton Lee about their new book. It's a very wide ranging discussion, and I think you'll find it interesting. So welcome to the Wednesday interview. And today we're talking about a book called Resetting Our Future. A chicken can't lay a duck egg. How Covid-19 can solve the climate crisis. And I'm joined today by the joint authors of the book who are coming in from Taipei in Taiwan. So welcome, welcome Bernice Maxton-Lee and Graham Maxton.
1: Thank you. Thank Thank you. Good to be
0: here. Yes, well, thanks for joining the Sustainable Futures Report. Now, before we start discussing the book um, and what that title really means, I'd just like to ask you to explain a bit about your background, your journey, where you've come from and what's brought you to this point where you're publishing the book. So Bernice, would you just like to start on that?
2: Uh, sure, yes. So um, where to start? So, so both of us have a background in uh, uh, investigating climate change um, and in system change. Um, we've both been concerned with climate issues for quite some time. Um, my path then took me um, to... Uh, do a master's in environmental science a lot further ago than I can care to remember. Um, And then after that, um, I joined an NGO, um, uh, the Jane Goodall Institute um, in Singapore, which is uh, an environmental NGO. And of course, I thought that I was going to save the world. Um, That was my big chance. I had all the tools and I was going to do it. Um, And very quickly, of course, I found out uh, how complex that was. We were in Singapore uh, at the time and uh, I could uh, several uh, times a week could smell the rainforest burning across the waters, across the straits in Indonesia Um, and so started investigating that um, which led me then to do a PhD in uh, the causes of deforestation in Indonesia Um, and then yeah, eventually that Long story uh, led us led us then to um, eventually to Taiwan and um, taking a break from climate change issues and then writing this book. Graham will then fill in the gaps. Okay. So I think it's a very okay. there's a very okay. long story cut very short.
1: <laughs> okay, so, okay, so my background is I, I I actually started working in banking. I mean I was a, a, a fat capitalist but not very fat. Um, <laughs> um, I started working banking and then I worked for the economy. Economist, uh, the magazine, and, and while I was working there, I began to look at the economic system and I began to wonder exactly what it was achieving. Uh, it seemed to be creating an awful lot of pollution and a lot of misery in much of the world. I was working in Hong Kong at the time. And uh, so then I started working the environment. I left the Economist and I started working in the environmental field and then i got involved with the club of rome and i became a member of the club of rome and then i became a secretary general of the club of rome and marched around the world trying to solve the climate crisis and uh after doing that for a while decided that i wasn't getting very far that we weren't having enough of an impact and so as bernice said we decided to take a break we came to taiwan uh started writing the book and then COVID hit and now we've got the book published and we're kind of stranded here, marooned in Taiwan, unable to leave right now.
2: No, we were only supposed to be here for a year, taking a break from climate change uh, um, battles. Um, and yeah, three years down the line, we're still here. Uh, so yeah, I see.
0: Right. OK. A chicken can't lay a duck egg. Now, I believe that's a quotation from Malcolm X. What's he trying to say there?
1: So uh, Malcolm X was a, a civil rights activist in the 1960s. And, and what he was saying is that a system which is designed to do one thing, can't achieve something else. So a chicken can only lay a chicken's egg, it can't lay a duck egg. And what we're saying by that is that the economic system that we have today is not designed to solve the climate problem or protect the environment. It's designed to maximize short-term profit for big corporations and increase the gap between rich and poor, that's what the system does. And so this system cannot solve the climate crisis, we need a new system, the chicken can't
0: lay a duck egg. Now, in the book, you suggest that the, the shock of the pandemic, of the COVID-19 pandemic, may be sufficient to give us the opportunity to fundamentally change the system and change it in a way which will allow us to tackle the climate emergency. Mm. It's moved on a lot. It's evolved. It's changed. But as, as I see it, there is still tremendous emphasis on business as usual. So mm. how do you see it?
2: yeah i mean i think we in in many ways we see it the same way um i think we sort of we suspected that after the initial surge of uh, locking down um and and stopping production and stopping flights um that the, there would be a sort of an, almost a panic reaction to try and get back to business as usual um because that's what the system does that's what we've been doing for for these many decades Um, So I think we anticipated that, but we still feel that there is an opportunity to learn from particularly the early stages of of the pandemic, where for the first time, we learned that it was possible to shut down large sectors of the economy. Um, It was possible to um, shut down production uh, of of many uh, products overnight. It was possible to ground aircraft. And it was possible to pay people to stay at home instead of going to work. And so those lessons, even though we're going back to business as as usual and the the, um, economies are trying to go back to to growth again and emissions have risen, those lessons have not been unlearned. They're still there Hmm. waiting for us to tap into them.
1: I think I mean, what what the virus has done is it's taught us that it's possible to have radical change in a short time. I mean, the virus is not over. And as we see with this new variant that's coming out, it's going to go on for some time yet. And so the chance for change, for this radical change, which we still think is very unlikely and very difficult, but the chance for change is
0: better now than it's ever been because of this, because of this sudden shock to the system. But we still have the ruling establishment. We don't, I think the key thing is we don't see a crusader, a leader or anybody who is actually leading people who's a role model, uh, a mm. role model at a global level, who can actually mm. focus people towards making the fundamental changes that are needed.
2: And and if I can jump in there, I would say that part of the problem that we've had um, these many decades has been waiting for that that crusader, that messiah figure, uh, the hero to step in uh, and take control and everything will be OK if, if that, that one person can just lead the way. Um, and, and the sooner I believe, the sooner we ditch the idea of the uh, great campaigner, the great crusader, and the, the messiah figure. The sooner we'll get on with the business of doing it ourselves, because we don't have time to wait for that global leader anymore.
1: Mm. Right. It, it, it has to be a collective response. It has to be absolutely a, a lot of people coming together. Mm-hmm. This is not about one person, and it, it, it's about maybe one country or one. One group of people beginning the process, like the snowball. Mm. This is not. Is, Superman's not going to come and save us.
2: Yeah, we've been conditioned uh, to think, you know, from from many Hollywood movies that you know the the meteor's coming towards the Earth and it's going to strike. But somebody, probably from Harvard, is going to go out there and figure out a way of pushing it away. Um, you know, no offense to fans of, of Elon Musk, but Elon Musk isn't going to be the guy that saves us here. Neither All right. is Jeff Bezos. Right.
0: But so we need we need a group of people. We need a movement. And yet, reading your book, you're very sceptical of things like uh, Fridays for the Future and, in particular, Extinction Rebellion. Are they not the sort of uh, groups of people that we need? No, I I mean, I I don't like to say, I mean,
1: the interpretation you've got there is not not what we mean at all. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're huge supporters of Extinction Rebellion. Absolutely. And Fridays for future, we've we've tried to focus on what the, the what the individual can do because the question we're most asked is what can I do as an individual, mm-hmm. but 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 we've said very clearly you can you can do this this and this but you can't achieve any magical change without working with, uh, with unless you work with others. Mm-hmm. So, so so individual action. Yes, you know, do them, but you will not achieve anything unless you act collectively. Mm-hmm. And that's why we, you know, Extinction Rebellion, and Fridays for Future are, are, are right on message.
2: Absolutely. I think we're, we're, we're very supportive of uh, of both movements. Um, I think perhaps we'd say that you know, one movement alone isn't going to do it. Um, it needs a, 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 a lot of different uh, groups of people all coming together, but importantly, all pursuing the same goal and, and something that we have certainly noticed in our work, Um, is that there tends often to be a fragmentation of of goals and ideas. You know, people are are working for saving the rainforest or working for saving uh, the blue whale or saving the orangutan. Um, We need to keep in mind that that, uh, one goal,
0: which is um, climate change. Now, you say we need more younger people taking control, effectively displacing present governments. But where are these people going to come from? How are they going to take power? And are they going to have the experience that they need to actually take leading roles? This is a very good question. This is a good question. I mean, generally, I
1: don't want to make generalisation, but I will. The, the, The people that tend to change the world tend to be the elderly and the young because they're more open to new ideas. People in middle ages tend to have very fixed ideas and they find it very difficult to move from that. Young people are more open and more ambitious. Elderly people, you know, they, they've lived enough and they don't really care enough because they, they've seen it all. So, so what we need is, is, is and, and this is why I think Fridays for Future in, in particular is very interesting because it's a lot of young people who see that their future is at risk and they, they need to be encouraged and nurtured and helped to, 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 to power so that they can begin to, to to do what's necessary. It's their future that matters most. Uh, and they're the ones, I think, that, that, you know, when I was in my 20s, or early 30s, I wanted to run the world. I wanted to try and do something to make a better world. And I think it's, it's finding these these people that are ambitious and that are intelligent and that are able to to, 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 to understand the scale of the problem.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I think one of the things that that, that comes up here is... Uh, you talked about experience. So young people uh, potentially lacking experience. We have actually seen this. And we can learn um, from uh, the the long play of history, uh, where there have been revolutions, um, even in our lifetimes. We can see that you know, the old order is toppled um, by by the new people. Um, and then they come in and they realize that after the, all the glory of, of revolution and topping the old order has faded away, there's the business of running the country, there's the business of governance. And um, those newcomers often have lacked experience. And so they've fallen back then on the old guard who are still waiting in the wings. Um, and there's a temptation and a, a need to then bring back in those old ideas under the new, um, the, the, the cloak of newness, the cloak of revolution. And that means then you don't end up having a new system. You end up having the old system just in new clothing. And I think that's something that we also talk about in the book. Um, and we say we need to be very careful to avoid. And so this is the time when we can plan for what the new system needs to look like, and we can really start training people up to take uh, the, the to take over those important um, roles in governance, and and we see precedent in that as well. Um, unfortunately, not in the directions that we think it should have gone in. But um, in Indonesia, for example, uh, the the CIA, the American CIA, was involved um, in training up the people that would come in and then overthrow uh, the at that time the Sukarno government in the 1960s um, so we can learn from history and and do it better we believe
0: right you talk about revolution in the book you say the future may not be democracy so what are you mm. looking for are you looking for autocracy or dictatorship or what's what, what's what's the future of government
1: mm. this is a difficult topic because everybody's wedded to the idea that democracy is the best way to run a country, and it's kind of—I mean, it's true in some ways, but it's also kind of a zeitgeist that people believe in democracy without actually thinking about it. And we have systems that are actually not very democratic. Mm-hmm. But also, when it comes to something as large and complicated as climate change, if you ask people's opinion, if you want to get everybody on board, then democracy is a disaster because it's the, the, the changes are coming in in decades in the future and people's lifestyles will have to change often for the worse and so they're not going to vote for that and it's often the case i mean you think about something like china which is not democratic i mean they can take big decisions much more easily than western countries because they're not democratic and so we're what we're wanting to see is something like a, a technocratic government a group of people who have been elected who have the support of of as many people as possible who understand the problems and can make the difficult decisions. That's not because that's the best system. It's because we don't have time.
0: Mm.
1: We don't have time left to go through this long process of convincing everybody. We have less than 10 years to make some big decisions. And so we have to compromise somewhere. And the democratic system is, is one area we have to compromise.
2: Yeah, I, I think well, let's use the analogy of uh, of a surgeon. If I go along to my doctor um, and she tells me that I need brain surgery or I need a you know a heart transplant, I, I don't really want to have a very much input into you know, where she's going to make the incision um, or you know which parts of, of my brain she's going to twiddle around with, um, because I'm not an expert in that. Um, so I think there are there is a place for democracy, and perhaps we're saying it's not in the policy. De- ...decisions uh, that are going to get us out of runaway climate change.
0: Right. You say that things are going to be more difficult for people in the future, and that is going to be a really hard sell. But across the world, particularly in the UK and in the United States, inequality is becoming more and more um, obvious and and, uh, accentuated. The vested interests... people like jeff bezos that you've mentioned but people who you may have heard less of like the adani family and jim ratcliffe who runs ineos there are a number a relatively small number of incredibly rich people and to a large extent um i suppose elon musk is an exception but to a large extent they are invested in old technologies and they have an awful lot to lose and an awful lot of power have we got any chance against them? Yeah, I mean,
1: this is always the, the, the question. I mean, there's a David and Goliath, and financially that's true, but it, it's actually the other way around in terms of numbers of people. I mean, we have 8 billion people on the planet. We have perhaps a few tens of thousands that are the problem. And, and and a very small number of them that really are you know, very financially rich and very powerful. It's a small number against a very large number. and one of the things we always say is that the changes that we're talking about will happen. I mean, mm. There's no doubt that they'll happen. It's just a question of them happening soon enough. Uh, it, it, people will eventually be, be forced to change because of because of what's happened to the environment, mm. the climate and, and, and crop yields and energy problems. Change will have to come. Mm. It's just a question of, of, of when. And, and the more we can help people understand the need for change, the sooner that can happen.
2: Um, I think there's also there are different levels of vested interests. I mean what you mentioned, the, the the big powerful people with a lot of money, that it's that's a, a very serious problem. Um but there are also vested interests at more uh, the sort of, you know, the, the the you and me level. Um you know the there are vested interests um, at the everyday level. Uh, For example, you know, the person who is going to facing losing their job uh, in a car plant or a a steel uh, production plant, Um, then those are vested interests that we can actually start to um, plan for and to make sure they don't become a problem. We can by recognising those vested interests, you know, the person who doesn't want to lose their job, the person who fears losing their identity in the career that they might have uh, done for, you know, 40 years and that, the you know, their parents did and that all their families do. We can help them make that transition and make sure that it's uh, as painless uh, as possible for them. But that requires us to start planning now.
0: Transition, I think, is a key word, isn't it? Uh, privileged. Standard of life and pretend that all those other people who are suffering from climate emergency don't really exist, or at least if they do, they don't matter. So, how can we reassure that the change is benign rather than catastrophic?
2: Um, I that's again a very good question. Just before I think Graham's going to answer this very comprehensively, but um, it, it, it I also believe it won't just be the people from the developing world it will be also the people who can no longer live in southern Italy who can no longer live in Greece um in in Florida. in Florida um so there were going to be people in the developed world uh who within the next 10 years find that there is no longer anywhere to grow food or because or, or that the um, the summers are just too hot to bear anymore. Um, or indeed, as you mentioned, being flooded off their lands. I mean, we've seen that uh, you're, you're calling in from around the York area. Um, you know how much flooding affects you uh, there very, very often, if not every year, if not several times a year. Um, so these are issues that are going to face us in the rich countries too.
1: You know, right. I, I think this is an opportunity for, for humanity to show the best of itself or the worst of itself. Mm. And, and we've seen both happening with Covid as well. We've seen some countries handle it as well and some countries handle it very badly. Most of the English-speaking world has been particularly badly and uh, done particularly badly I think. And it's the same with, with, with climate change. We're going to see many people displaced. We're going to see many people desperate and I mean I think it's interesting that in Germany for example they're opening them up to be. More, they're more open to immigration. They're more understanding of, of the plight of other people, and they want to help other people. Whereas in England and Britain, they tended to put up the borders and say, "You know, let's keep people out." So it's a question of 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 of, of open heartedness. It's a question of understanding. It's a question of humanity. We have a chance to do the right thing, and and. You know, that's one of the reasons we we're writing this book and, and and we're doing this work is because we want to help people understand what's at stake it, this could all go horribly wrong or we can we can find a, a good way through it and that's what we want to try and help people do
2: I think one of the things that we've seen is, is that in in times of crisis as graham said you know you see, you see the best and the worst of humanity you can see some awful things happen but you also see some great acts of kindness and love um, and I think, again, you know, we keep using the word planning and plan. We, we know we have a very good idea of, of how things are going to develop in terms of, um, in terms of climate change, of how, how difficult things are going to get. If we do some careful planning, then we can make it easier for those great acts of kindness to come to the surface and not the acts that are stimulated by fear.
0: Well, thank you. As we draw this to a close, let me ask you how you see the future and what you are going to be doing towards creating the future that you want to see?
1: Hmm. You know, we're not, we're not utopian dreamers. We know this is going to be very difficult. We've seen that people are very reluctant to change. We've seen that COVID has, as in many ways, reinforced the, the worst aspects of humanity, but there is, There is still, I think, a chance that we can pull through this. There is still, when you see people like Fridays for Future and Extinction Rebellion and Greta Thunberg. And and if I just think back to four or five years ago Mm -hmm. when we were in Switzerland, the momentum is building all the time. There is more and more pressure for change. People realize that cops are a waste of time. People realize that we need to find a fundamentally different way. And, and we're doing everything we can. Mm. Through everything we can through through talking to you, through writing these books, through through everything we, we we do from day to day, talks and presentations and lectures, to try and help people understand that that's that's what we can do. Uh, certainly, for the time being.
2: Yeah, I, I think I think as we go forward, it will become um, increasingly clear that the uh, the policy options that are on the table now um, and that will come onto the table in the next few years won't work um, and as it becomes clearer that they're not going to work, um, we expect, we hope to engage uh, more and more to try and uh, help people see what needs to happen um, and to help um, influence and guide that process and to to just give as much um, support as we possibly can.
0: Bernice, Graham, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and ideas with the Sustainable Futures report
2: thank you thanks Anthony
0: a lot to think about there a lot that governments don't want to think about and I suppose with the continuing pandemic concentrating the minds of the voters the pandemic is going to occupy them before all else but if we can upend the economy and our lives in order to defeat Covid should we not be prepared to take the same drastic action to address a very much greater threat I think a lot of that depends on whether the government and the people accept that the climate crisis really is an urgent emergency. Many people remain to be convinced, and many others with vested interests are determined that they should not be convinced. Find links to the book and to Bernice and Graham's websites on the Sustainable Futures Report website. On Friday, I'll be talking about more reactions to COP26, which remains the responsibility of the UK until COP27 next year. Can there ever be such a thing as net-zero travel? I address the question in next Wednesday's interview. The following week, I bring you the inside story of sustainability at York Minster, one of the greatest cathedrals of Europe. Before I go, I'd like to thank you for listening. I'd like to thank my patrons for their support. They contribute a small amount each month to help me cover my costs and keep the Sustainable Futures Report ad-free and independent and emphatically non-profit. Normally, publishers and publicity agents who request these interviews agree to provide a transcription for me to post on the website. On this occasion, they declined. So this is a perfect example of where patrons have helped me cover a specific cost. Many thanks. Always ready to welcome new patrons? Find the details at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, dot com slash SFR. That was the Wednesday interview from the Sustainable Futures Report. I'm Anthony Day. Until Friday.